When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome to episode 217. I don't know, of Dunzo. It's me, Troy McKeady. And I am so excited for today's episode for many reasons. For one thing, I have not had a Rihanna moment on this podcast yet. So this is like pretty groundbreaking. This is a big deal for me today. I've had many requests and I am joined by DJ Louis the 14th from the Pop Pantheon podcast. Louis, how are you? I'm doing amazing and I'm so excited to be here with you because I'm such a fan of you and of the podcast and of Rihanna, who is actually... <laughs> Rihanna I don't know right. if, you've, if you've heard right and I can't promise that I will call her Rihanna like even just now it felt uncomfortable like the hairs on my arms just rose um I just can't bring myself to say it but I want to be a good person do you know what I mean I do and you know I had to really go through this because as you know on my podcast Pop Pantheon where we talk about pop stars I just recorded a series of episodes on her yeah and I've obviously like the rest of humanity been referring to her as Rihanna right for my entire last 15 years yes um but she is on record saying that it is technically Rihanna like from her own mouth right. but the other thing about it is that I feel like it's still cool to call her Rihanna because as I was like thinking about this she has said Rihanna I know. on record. Like when she says that Rihanna rain just won't let up um, on hard. She yeah. says Rihanna. So she, clearly she adapted to like the way we were mispronouncing her name and like took it on herself. Also not to be too fine print about it, but when she performs What's My Name, when she says, oh, nah, nah. When she does the callback to the audience, she says Rihanna. She does. Okay. So I feel like she has sanctioned us mispronouncing her name. So we don't <laughs> right. have to say it right <laughs> Thank God. Cause I just can't bring myself to do it. I only know her one way. Well, I feel like, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but like, she's such like a chill, cool type of person that yeah. I could see her not being the type of person that's like uptight about like, you're mispronouncing my name. Right. Like that, yeah. You know what I mean? It kind of fits her whole vibe. Totally. Speaking yeah. of, tell me your like, what is your relationship with Brianna? I know you said that you're doing her right now on your podcast, so I hate to make you repeat yourself, but I'm interested. Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of, like, pop, pop girlies. I mean, whatever. Who's, like, what gay guy isn't going to say that? But, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I just think Rihanna slash Rihanna is one of the most, like, fascinating pop figures of the 21st century because... Yeah. I think she represents a lot about like how pop stardom has changed and shifted like over time and entered into the social media era. I kind of see her as like a linchpin in the sort of move from pop stars being this sort of like 
virtuosically talented entity over there that like mm. were untouchable and kind of like, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, sort of like this godly-esque figure. I feel like she sort of treads the line between that because obviously she is like this like untouchably cool and like otherworldly star quality type of person. But at the same time, she sort of was like a bridge into sort of the accessibility factor or the authenticity factor. That's like a huge part of like what pop stardom is about right today. Like she's not the most virtuosic talent of all time. It's not like you look at Rihanna and you're like, she's the best singer of all time. Or like, right. she's this incredible dancer. Or she's like this amazing songwriter or whatever. But like, she is kind of like the most appealing of, of the pop stars. I think the most broadly appealing because she's so authentic. She's so herself. Right. She's so comfortable in her own skin. And I feel like at, she like as pop stardom has like evolved in the modern era like it's so much less now about like these sort of virtuoso talents and more about feeling like you could be friends with these people or feeling like they're 100 themselves on record and off and i feel like she was a really important sort of like shifting point in pop in that way yeah i mean you per perfectly said it like she i think rihanna's superpower is the fact that she is so comfortable in her own skin and her vulnerability, whether it's like in fashion or in music or in her just speaking publicly, is the thing that draws you to her and makes you aspire to want to be like her. Like, she's a really aspirational pop star. Like, one of the most, I would say, in the sense that she just is, like, her whole brand is just being intensely herself. You know what I mean? And it just feels so vulnerable. And I think people who are fans of hers, they have a collective understanding that we've watched her slowly chip away at these layers, these sort of industry layers, these like, you know, sort of like label layers, if you will, um, post Umbrella. I feel like in a way, like Umbrella was like the rebirth of Rihanna. And we've just been over the years watching her sort of chip away. And it's ironic, like we're talking about anti today. And it's like, over the years, she chipped and chipped and chipped away until the point that she was completely raw, released this piece of work that is so, I mean, I have in my notes a million times that this album sometimes is so vulnerable that it feels like we shouldn't be allowed to hear it. Mm, yeah, and it's very it's, intimate and sort of insular in that way. Like you really feel yeah. like she's almost singing it to herself. Right, and the irony that she did, she released this incredible album and it's so Rihanna to be like, thank you, bye. Like, it's so Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, it sort of speaks to what we were getting at. It's like, I don't I don't feel like, especially at this point in her career, and look, like, this woman went through a run of, you know, seven years or so where she was releasing an album every single year, like, right. almost like a factory style. So I feel like it's completely within her purview to be like, girls like I mama needs a break like but I <laughs> right. feel like and and she has nothing really left to prove commercially you know what I mean like she is the uh I was I have all these facts in my head because we just did the podcast on her like she is a she is the third most number one singles of any artist in history Jesus. I mean you know this woman really she's she has nothing left to prove in terms of like being a like pop star right so i feel like we're at a phase with her um for better or worse as navy members that like she's never gonna put something out at this point that i don't think she feels like 
is something that's emanating from like something she just wants to say, or like, she's not going to rush out to put product into the marketplace unless it's like, as we were talking about, like 100%, like authentically something that she feels like she has to say, or that she's really ready to put out there, or that's kind of like pushing her artistry further. And I feel like that's one thing that Auntie was like a huge step forward in sort of like Rihanna stepping into like her mode as like a true capital A artiste auteur who like right. wasn't necessarily concerned with like making sure there was like a hit for every part of the pop marketplace on the album or making sure that like you know she was gonna have the biggest you know record of that year but the thing that's really interesting about Auntie and I'm I, I can't wait to get into this with you is that because she is so magnetic as a character, she was still able to turn these sort of like insular weird mm -hmm. choices into smash hit records. It was like, Auntie has a number of really big radio hits on it. But like, yeah, that was, that's like almost like by dint of sheer like magnetism on Rihanna's part, less so that she like yeah. played any sort of game of trying to be sort of commercially appealing, if that makes sense. Totally. And I think at that, like at this point, at the release of this album, she had done the work. And if she had released this album, maybe at any other time in her life, we would be like, what the fuck is this? But we, at the point of this release, like we knew Rihanna enough to say, oh, this is like, so Rihanna. Like this is yeah. just Rihanna being Rihanna and being very, no pun intended, but unapologetic about how <laughs> she's feeling and what she wants to say. And she's doing it in the most Rihanna way possible like in a and I think that's also really appealing about her where you watch her do things and you know that like she's so special that only she can do them like only she can pull them off only she can sing songs like this you know it's it's an album that only she could release and like that's really cool yeah two things you're making me think of which is one is like speaking about pop stardom more broadly because like obviously that's what I'm always doing is like when an artist gets to that apex of sort of commercial success or they've had 10 years of sort of like giving you hits and hits and hits, right. you really want them to do something more left field and personal and idiosyncratic. Like, and in fact, if they don't, their careers can kind of derail. And I right. feel like she really, that was what this album represented to her. Like she needed to sort of pivot in her approach because again, it was like, if she was just going to keep trying to slam us over the head with like the best versions of like what the sounds of pop were of that moment, which mm -hmm. is like what she kind of was great at doing at her commercial apex, that gets sort of tiresome at a certain point. Right. Like, there's many records you can point to in pop stars career that I think anti is aligned with, which is like four by Beyonce is another really great example of a moment where like a pop star was like, okay, I've sort of like achieved the apex of commercial success and I have played this game and now I need to make something that's like more idiosyncratic and a little bit riskier and right. a little bit looser and a little bit like, you know, willing to sort of like, uh, try something that could or could not work commercially and like be okay with that. 808s and Heartbreaks is another one that comes to mind. Oh, like, yeah, that's there, a good example. A, you know, Ray of Light by Madonna is another one that comes to me. I mean, there's like a moment where the greatest pop stars take that risk and it's right. really important in their careers that they do that because otherwise you kind of end up like Katy Perry where you're sort of like stabbing at the same basic idea over and over again and eventually people are kind of like bored of that and they don't need it anymore. Right, you're like, but I changed my hair. 
Yeah, exactly. It's got to be more than your hair. It's got to be more than your hair. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that you were making me think of is one thing that I love about Angie that's so Rihanna and like only something she could pull off as you were getting at is it's a very loose album. Like, you know, it almost is, I think of it's almost like a, like a collage or a tumbler or like a mood board in a sense. Mm, like That's a good way. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it hits so many different, it's held together by her personality and her willingness to sort of, as you said, be vulnerable and put herself out there. But it like moves between numerous genres. Some of the songs sound like they're kind of half finished. There's like a, you know, a track at the end of the record that we'll get to called Higher that sounds like a drunk, drunk dial. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very loosely structured album. And and again, I think we'll talk about this as we got in. But when I first listened to it, I was a little bit like, ooh, is this a mess? Like, I'm not sure if right. it's good. You know what I mean? Like, it actually took a minute for me to click because it is really, it's not like a fully formed aesthetic idea in the way that like Beyonce's self-titled album is or right. the way that like, you know, it's it's loose, it's it's playful, but that works for it, not against it ultimately. And that's very Rihanna to make an album that's kind of like, I'm just kind of flowing through moods and trying stuff. And yeah, let's put this like minute and a half song as track two. That sounds like maybe it wasn't <laughs> totally finished. And like, you know, and this drunk dial and like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's something about that that's very, that that only adds to the sort of like authenticity slash mystique of the Rihanna thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like you're very similar to me in the sense that I love an album that requires me to do a little work. Like, if I don't love it at first, no it's pun intended. likely. <laughs> right. Like, if I immediately don't love it and I end up loving it, like, really intensely later, I'm probably going to have a special relationship to that album because it required me to jump through a couple hoops. And I like that. Like, I love having to sort of like Rubik's Cube an album until I get it. And then once you get it, it's so rewarding to be like, I get this now. And it's, Absolutely. and I really love it. Yeah, I'm like that too. And another thing that I love about sort of classic albums that I'm passionate about is that, that this is like my weird like thing that I always think about, but like when an album is a true classic, A, you want to listen to it front to back. Yeah. And you don't want to skip, even if there's songs that you don't love. Like mm. that's a that's a thing I always think about with like a classic album. It's not necessarily that every single song is an A plus, but that the thing as a whole holds together in some sort of way that you like feel compelled to even listen to like the less yeah. great songs. You know what I mean? Like, and anti doesn't have a ton of stinkers on it, but I mean right. there's a couple songs on there that like on their own, I don't think are necessarily like the greatest, but like if if I'm listening to anti, 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 again, another one, I don't quite know how to pronounce. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, she has a thing with the, with the, uh, with the, with the double pronunciations, I guess, but um, you know, you want to experience it. So even if there's songs on it that like are less good, like I'm never going to skip, you know, uh, close to you, even though I don't think it's like my ultimate right. like, favorite. Rihanna yeah. Song. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just kind of <laughs> completes the whole like, sort of story. Exactly. Well, let's get into the tracks. I'm really excited to talk about. I'm I'm really excited to do this. I can't believe I haven't had a Rihanna moment yet. So this is a big deal for me. I'm so um, honored to be the one. <laughs> let's talk about consideration, which I feel like is literally, I mean, consideration is to me the perfect opener to this album because it basically describes everything that we just said. Like, I think that it really kind of, perfectly introduces you to Rihanna's perspective and 
like where she was coming from and recording this album. She's basically saying like up to this point in my career, I've hit it out of the fucking park every single time. Everything I touch turns to gold. You know, every artist that features me on their songs, I make them a hit. And yet I'm not considered a real artist in quotes. And I want to be a real fucking artist and Mm. release something that means something to me. Yeah. And I also sort of do agree that it's like a good thesis for the album, just even in some of the lyrical content, like talking about sort of like, can you give my reflection a break? Because I think this album is about looking inward a lot and sort of mm-hmm. like the, the sort of naughtiness of having to like look inside at like various uncomfortable aspects of yourself. So right. I think even lyrically speaking, like this album, this song really does set the tone for like, oh, this isn't going to be, this isn't fresh off the runway. This isn't right. you know, S&M. This isn't, you know, you to <laughs> right. one. This isn't like some broadly appealing, like I can insert myself into these lyrics narrative. Like mm-hmm. you can see yourself in the lyrics, but you, she's sort of, I think she's sort of saying on this song, like, this is going to be insular. Like this is going to yeah. be, and there's almost like a paranoid kind of anxious feeling to this song, which is something that says, who wrote the song and is featured on it really captures very well a lot in her music. Um, There's sort of a vibe of like being stoned, I sometimes think about, and like sort of like things maybe going slightly pear-shaped like when you're high and you're like reflecting. (laughs) A little House of Mirrors moment. Yeah, that's the kind of vibe I get on this song. And also speaks to Rihanna, one of Rihanna's amazing ace cards always, which is her taste. I mean, she Mm. literally like picked up SZA like right before SZA sort of turned into her own a mainstream sort of superstar in her own right and right yeah I mean she could have easily took that song and been like I'm gonna record the whole thing myself but she clearly chose to keep SZA on the track and uh yeah another thing that I just want to throw out there that I'm wondering what you think about is like sometimes I have trouble distinguishing their voices on it yeah totally yeah 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 I I wrote in my notes that them recording this together feels like divine like it feels like it was meant they were meant to cross paths at that specific time in life because it's unimaginable that these two people didn't grow up together and know each other their whole lives from the way that they sound recording together it is literally so perfectly matched like the vibe is just it's crazy and you know it also speaks I think the lyrics of this song speak to the fact that you know, this is the, an album that she had the most creative control over, and she has a writing credit on every song, except for obviously the cover, Um, (laughs) you know, and like, there's some, one of the things that I say all the time when I'm talking about the pop girls on this podcast is like, I always get to a point in doing research about their journey, where they, you know, have to fight with some label executive about, an album sleeve or the look of a CD cover or whatever. And Rihanna basically is saying the thing that I always say, which is just punch the fucking numbers. Like I'm the (laughs) artist, please don't peek your head in this fucking recording studio and worry about what I'm doing. Punch the numbers. You're an executive. Like I'm an artist. Let me do whatever I want to do. Like respect my artistry and my success enough to know that I can do whatever I want. And it'll most likely be successful. Like people like my shit, you know? Yeah. But I think you got to, you know, in the way that the music industry is structured, you got to work, you got to be kind of in Rihanna's place in terms of like your power. Like she was at a place at that point where nobody could say shit to her. You know what I mean? Like it takes a while to get there because 
they the labels do have a lot of control over these artists at the beginning of their careers because even with the internet and all of this sort of like democratization that's gone on in terms of like how people consume pop music and that it is easier to get your shit out there without right. like institutional support to be a major pop star you still need that like you know you need that uh financial backing of like a huge company so they are sort of stuck in some right. ways until you get to the point where you're at Rihanna's level where it's like the label is has no has less power than her you know what I mean so I do right. feel like this album is a flex of what you're talking about which is like this was a moment I think maybe the first and you know it's crazy to say that considering how much success she had had before that but it was kind of the first moment where I do think she was in a position to be like I'm doing what I want or I'm yeah. doing nothing at all. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I also think it's important for us to note, like this album had a very kind of messy rollout. I don't know if you remember that. Like, yeah, it was, it was they, they floated lots of lead singles that didn't end up making it onto the record. Like, you know, uh, you know, remember four or five seconds, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. bitch better have my money, American oxygen. Yeah. Like it had a bit of a, like a messy rollout, and then sort of dropped out of the sky randomly one day. Like she just sort of like put it out. You do remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. God, I forgot about that little period before though, when those songs were just like appearing on the internet. Uh-huh. And they were so random seeming, like they had nothing to do with each other. Like they were just like completely yeah. like disparate. And it, I remember sort of, there was a general feeling of like anxiety in the like pop consuming universe about like, yeah. is this going to be a fucking mess? Like <laughs> As if. <laughs> Yeah, as, as if it ever would. We should never have underestimated the <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Let's talk about James Joint, which is honestly okay. one of my favorite, like not favorite songs, I would say, but I love an interlude. You know mm. what I mean? As a gay man yes. in, his, in his 30s, I love an interlude. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this is giving me very like- I love an interlude in life. <laughs> right. It's very like Stevie Wonder. Mm. You know, it's got very Stevie Wonder vibes, but it also- gives me kind of like a velvet rope vibe mm. like it there are gives... definite parallels between this album and velvet rope i think right the mm -hmm. loose the looseness of it like you said earlier the looseness and just the sort of like turning fully inward like mm -hmm. i always think like if rhythm nation was about sort of like this outward sort of manifestation of like let's change the world in this macro sense. I feel like Velvet mm. Rope is very much the album of like using the personal to make it political. And in a sense, yeah. I think Anti sort of follows that a little bit too. Like, how can I be as personal and vulnerable as possible as a means of sort of like my existence and me being honest about that is like a political move in its own sense. I feel like the albums shared that in common with each other, but yes, yeah. go on. Sorry, I didn't mean No, that. that's, that's a really, really good point. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, not many people that like, this is like a one minute song. Right. And I could talk about it for hours, honestly. Yeah. Like <laughs> the production is so fucking beautiful. I mean, just, yeah. it's like, and it makes you want to keep playing it over and over because it is so short, but it's so pretty. Like, yeah. I just love that, that like Stevie Wonder uh, keyboard in the background. Oh, it's mm. so good. It's almost sounds like a jam session to me a little bit, like speaking yeah. again about sort of the looseness of this record. Like to me, it almost sounds like she was in the studio and someone started playing a little riff and she was just sort of like, maybe she was a little bit high and she just sort of <laughs> started to riff. It gives me that vibe a little bit. And also kind of continues the insular nature of the content of this record, which is like, again, sort of saying like, I'd rather be smoking weed by myself than like hanging out with you or like right. whatever is like 
very much like a theme of this album. Like if Rihanna's made so much music about partying and sex and um, you know, like whatever, like all these sort of like big kind of macro topics of pop, like yeah. this record in these first two songs very quickly gets into this mode of like, almost like you're alone in your house kind of reflecting. And this song continues that vibe to me. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like waking, waking and baking or something. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Get It Over With. Ooh, yeah, great song. That's a really underrated B-side. I know. Yeah. And same kind of vibe, like waking and baking, just like being mm -hmm. high and like kind of being in your your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, Except I feel like James Joint might be the sort of like period, like Get It Over With has a more sort of like mournful, sorrowful take mm -hmm. on that sort of thing where, where James Joint to me sounds like the sound of someone who's just like too exhausted to care about someone else's feelings anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, she just wants to smoke weed with James. I believe his last name was pronounced Fantilaroy. It's like her yes. creative partner. <laughs> yeah, he's a big songwriter who's worked with like a lot of like big artists, including says uh, Justin Timberlake. Like he's a pretty prominent yeah. like R&B pop songwriter. I mean, just the thought of having a song on a Rihanna album where she's like, I just want to smoke weed with you. It's like, yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> God, all the hairs in my arms yeah, are like, bing, a, bing, bing, bing. Yeah, and, it, and it, I, again, I think it really serves a good purpose in sort of introducing like this album is going to go a lot of different strange sonic places. Like it's mm -hmm. not gonna, it's this song sounds pretty different sonically than <laughs> yeah. consideration. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. I might get emotional. I'm not going to lie to you. When we <laughs> moving on to this next song, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I got to be honest. I'm ready to hold your feelings. Oh, mm -hmm. let's talk about kiss it better. One of the best Rihanna songs ever. <laughs> my first, like my first note quote, literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it is epic in every single way. Like, and again, another sort of sonic departure here. We're getting kind of like a, almost like a arena rock ballad of some mm. sort, you know what I mean? With like a big electronic guitar and, um, you know, it's, it's like, a, it's again, a third sonic palette, you know what I mean? Yes. Like she's, she's moving in a lot of different directions here, but why is it, why do you think it's one of your favorites? Um, well, for one thing, I'm a big Prince fan and it reminds me a lot of the mm. Purple Rain album. Yes, very that. Very it's good observation. Just like so intensely Prince. And mm -hmm. I just think vocally, like, you know, this album, I think features Rihanna at her absolute best of her entire career, of course, right? Um, and Kiss It Better is just like such a beautiful representation of the journey of Rihanna's voice and the fucking emotion and the power behind the lyrics and the song and the way that she delivers them. It's so palpable and so intense like this is one of those moments where it feels so raw that it's like this is a little bit like am I just like listening to you have a ranting emotional moment like it's just mm. so vulnerable yeah I agree with you I think that's a really good point on the voice topic I think you're so like this is a some a singer that we really watched like come into her vocal talent like yeah she was not a great singer at the beginning of her career. no I, mean, I don't want to I don't want to be whatever but like she had this kind of nasally thin voice mm -hmm. on a lot of her early records that worked really well on the type of pop song she was making at that time right but she really grew into this sort of like husky almost belting uh like power in her voice that she yeah. 
that like really didn't come together. I feel like until like maybe the last couple records before this, but really, as you said, is like on full display on this record and on this song in particular, like she just, it is like, a, it, it, it's, it, it requires a lot to sing this song. You know what I mean? Both like on yeah. an emotional level and in terms of like actual vocal range. And as you said, like, I totally agree with you about the vulnerability. This is like yet another song here in this track listing where you're sort of getting like this really naughty, um, like look into her sort of like struggles in love, in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not trying to present it as like some sort of like pretty wrapped up package. Like a lot of pop songs represent emotions in that way. Like there's right. something sort of like, like uh, uh, she's, she's, she's processing something like through singing. This yeah. Song. Yes. And that's, oh, that's such a good way to put it. That's exactly what it feels like. You're listening to her kind of like think out loud about what she's going through and the way that you describe the voice thing almost kind of reminds me of like Miley's public journey with her voice Mm. because I think you know they both occupied this space at the beginning of trying to kind of fit into like a traditional pop thing and it's like the realization that like I have a really weird unique voice and that's cool and I should Mm -hmm. lean into it and not try and sound like the kids bop version of it. I should just lean into the fact that I have this like deep, husky, gravelly, cool, unique sound. Um, Which works really well in this like Prince-like song. I love the the comparison to Prince. That's like totally apt. She, yeah. this song really does have that. Like you could see him playing guitar next to her as she yes. sings it. Yes. Oh my God, I've dreamt it. Yeah. It's so, this song really, <laughs> and I remember there was, um, I can't remember like the exact contours of how this worked, but like they did consider this as a lead single and then didn't go with it. I remember that from the rollout. You know what? I just read about that. They were going to release this as a lead single and um, they decided to do, they were going to release this as a lead single, but then they decided not to because they thought it would like not, like it would represent the album in a way that was maybe not fair because people would view it as mm. like just another Rihanna ballad, which I could see. Right. Yeah. And I also think as we're going to get to in the next track, they they made the right choice um, in terms of a lead single. But yeah. yeah, I mean, and also I did you go to the tour? I did not. And I can't even fucking talk about it. Biggest regret of my life. Like I <laughs> I never because got to she see announced Rihanna. the tour because it was because she announced the tour before the record came out. And I remember mm-hmm. being like, it, everything felt messy. I remember being yeah. like, I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Am I, do I want to go to the tour of this album? That kind of sounds like it might be a hot diggity ass mess. Like, I'm right. not sure. And then I remember just immediately. <laughs> of course. And, and this, <laughs> this was the finale song of the tour. And the tour felt so represent like it was so perfectly represented by this album like they they worked together so well in the long run it's like of course again of course Mm -hmm. they did um but I mean you know it's it's the whole song is great but it's specifically the the delivery of man fuck your pride yeah that just sends a fucking goosebump down your back if you are alive Mm -hmm. it affects you it's just yeah Because it's that moment of like seeing, like she's such a strong figure in pop. Like her, she has a kind of Teflon 
like persona in some ways. Mm. So seeing that put in the service of vulnerability, which like I yeah. think is what that line represents is what makes it like so striking in the context of the song. It's like, you almost can feel her like being like being defeated by whomever she's singing about and sort of trying to sort of like regain that power in that yeah. line. And yes. I think that's what makes it so striking. Oh my God. Oh, I can like hear it in my head right now and I have goosebumps. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is an album like I never don't want to listen to. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. like, never a moment. Like, you know, some albums that even that I love, I'm like, eh, I don't need this right now or whatever. It's good like, for there's a never mood. really a moment. It's yeah, there's never a moment I want to get drunk. This. Yeah. <laughs> it's good for like cleaning your house. Yeah. It's like good for if you're sad as well, which is crazy. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about work. Oh, let's talk about it. Here's <laughs> a song that like when it came out, I, again, it didn't, fully clicked for me initially I was like yeah I I remember thinking um because they really posited this as like no girls like this is the actual lead single like right. it came out I think only a couple of weeks before the album dropped I think they announced the album was like imminent by saying and like here's the lead single and it was like a very short window of time and yeah. I remember the first time that I heard it I was like is this an unfinished demo like I right. remember sort of being like this doesn't sound completed to me mm -hmm. I've obviously I've since completely 180 on it and I think it's genuinely one of her greatest records and like is just like gossamer dance hall like stripped to its most minimalist and the way she sort of flows over it is almost like scatting like a jazz like a like a patua version of like what a jazz singer might do like it right like like she's uh like she she just kind of flows all over it in this sort of very fluid natural way like with like words bleeding into one another and like it has this all i can think about is sort of like a gossamer sort of like flowing um like silk chiffon thing in yes the, in, in just sort of like blowing around and it's a very delicate feeling in that sense that's i mean you couldn't have said it better it's just so again it just feels like a song that only she could sing and it is right. i mean it, it really is. is a song that especially only in terms do. of mainstream pop artists for sure yeah and especially to release this on the radio is one of the mm. most bold like insane mind-blowing things it just speaks to her power i mean this song is all her cool i mean this song is oh like god yeah. this song is all her cool like as you said none that's her thing no other major pop star has that in the same way that she does and so again obviously it would never work as any other pop star and also it feels like a nod it sort, of, it sort of feels like a stripped down completely bare bones version of some of her earlier work like it's almost like if you took rude boy and you like removed right. all of like the glistening pop elements of it and just <laughs> left it as like the few little drum programming and like a few little keyboards and her just kind of riffing it almost right. feels like sometimes the chorus almost feels like there's a very famous new yorker piece that i highly recommend to people that was written by john seabrook that followed um 
Esther Dean, who is like a huge mm. songwriter who wrote a lot of the big Rihanna songs. She wrote Rude Boy. She wrote What's My Name. She wrote, uh, I believe she wrote Only Girl in the World. So, and the way, and he followed her through the studio, sort of like cutting demos of some of the big Rihanna songs. And the way she would do it would be to kind of go in the booth and the producer would play a song and Esther would kind of just sort of like hum nonsense over the chorus to try to find the melody. Mm. So she'd be like, you know, no words, wow. just kind of like trying to figure it out. And in a way, the work chorus to me sounds like if you just left the nonsense part yeah. of the chorus and never filled it in with like lyrics, but that sort of works in because Rihanna sort of tossing something off or just kind of flowing her coolness through this melody like works as a chorus, even though it's just the words work, 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 work over and over again. Right, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think one of the things that makes this song so intensely interesting is that it does have this sort of like deep meaning, but right. it appears to be like this totally effortless, like mm. it honestly, it comes off as a song about of, of Rihanna just kind of like mumbling over a beat, like you said, right. and it feels that way. It feels very just sort of like light and dancey and sort of easy to listen to but then when you really listen to the lyrics and you hear her saying like you know I am like deeply fucking bored in this relationship and I feel yeah. like it's time for me to go and to be honest I again unapologetically I'm trying to fuck like mm -hmm. I want to have sex and yeah. I'm bored and you it's, and I wake up every day acting like this isn't happening yeah it's it's another ennui song it's another like song of sort of like discontent and yeah. um and like that's a theme that we get a lot in this record and she I, and there's there's bars in this song you took my heart and my keys and my patience oh my god that's a bar. come on and, and of course we can't oh and also uh of course the iconic uh uh no uh nobody calls me in a crisis or you never what, what's what's the lyric i'm trying to remember um exactly. nobody texts me in a crisis nobody texts me in a crisis yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and also, I don't think we can escape by talking about like, despite how awkward and weird their relationship can sometimes seem extra musically, Drake <laughs> and Rihanna have wonderful on record chemistry together. Yeah, it's, un I mean, it's honestly unreal. Like, yeah, in some ways, in some ways, this does feel like a companion piece to take care of the song. Another oh, sort of like yeah. mournful, Ooh, sort great. of like minimalist take on a different genre more on like a house like like take care is kind of like a minimalist stripped back mournful take on house music and this yeah. is kind of like a stripped back minimalist mournful take on dance hall you know yeah if this song doesn't make you feel like if it doesn't make you like wind your hips and want to have like sweet <laughs> like like low-key sex on a dance floor yeah, yeah yeah you're not alive and i'm sorry yeah. for that Another song that I do think it works in as a companion piece too, and sorry, this is my DJ brain just going off, um, is Controla, the Drake song, is another mm, sort of like, yeah. also a Party Next Door production, which they, they both were made by the same person. And they both are sort of like, at least production-wise, this sort of take on, reg on reggae and dancehall where they like strip out all of the unnecessary pieces. Like literally there's so little production happening. Right. Um, I believe these songs must have been created in, a, in a, some session together because they're very similar in terms of how the, the production is made. That's such a good comparison. You know, there really is like, if you strip the, the, the like all of the uh, vocal from this song, it mm -hmm. really is just like a faint, quiet beat 
just a really- there's hardly any drums it's just yeah. kind of like that dun, 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 the piano yeah part, and then there's like very few little like 8080 like very light drum hits going on it's like not much else it's like it's it's almost barely there like like a haze of smoke or something like that i already can't wait to wind my hips to it when we're done recording me like, too <laughs> just listen to it never uh, don't want to hear that song never ever let's talk about desperado okay this is my first song in the track list that like, I, I really like Desperado, but I'm, but it's, it's, uh, it's not like my personal favorite. Um, again, I think we get some of this sort of like, there's definitely like the, I'm an outlaw vibe going on. So mm-hmm. again, we're sort of getting this sort of like, uh, and, uh, a sort of like, uh, 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 living on the edge. I, I feel like if, if a theme of this album is Rihanna like ditching her sort of like mainstream pop instincts, I feel like this song in sort of form and content like delivers on that because it's a storyline about sort of being someone that lives on the edge of town. So I sort of think <laughs> right. that, like that that's my vibe on it. What do you think about this song? Um, well, I think that we have the same brain because it's not my favorite and I don't it's I would by no means like ever be like oh I gotta turn this off no no, no, no it's, it's a good mean? song yeah, yeah it's a I good like song it. yeah but I'm just saying the first four songs on this record are like so incredible to me that right like, this is the moment where I'm kind of like okay like this is like this is a b plus to me <laughs> yeah like if I didn't hear Desperado I wouldn't freak out about it if I didn't hear Kiss It Better I would be upset do you know what no, I mean Kiss It Better is like top five Rihanna songs and that is like in the context of like so many fucking good songs, like to right. be in that echelon, like no question about it. I mean, I think all four of those first songs are essential. I think, I guess what I enjoy about Desperado is that it's a fun, you know, we don't really get many like theatrical sort of like Gaga-esque moments from Rihanna where she's mm. like singing in character. I think that's right. fun. I think that this sounds very cinematic. It sounds like it could be on a soundtrack. Um, it's very sort of yeah. atmospheric, like Tarantino-esque kind of yeah. like imagery. Right. I literally Western-esque imagery. I wrote in my notes that this is the song that would play as I'm on my way to kill Bill in my mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know? And 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 another sort of sonic palette. I mean, we're now five five songs into the record and we've like hit so many different sonic palettes. Right. Um and, you know, again, I think this speaks to like what we were getting at earlier in the conversation, which is like this, the fact that this holds together is such a testament to her and her sort of like force of personality and her vulnerability on this record, because we are taking a journey through like what we've had. We've had like SZA-esque sort of like trip hop. We've right. had sort of this like Stevie Wonder smoky jam session song. We've had a Princely-esque sort of rock ballad. We've had this Gossamer dance hall number. And yeah. now we've got like this sort of like spaghetti Western sort of like fantasy going on. And yet like yeah. somehow the mood of it all holds together as a unified piece. But yeah, I yeah. agree with you. Like it's it's it is very cinematic, and um, you know, Rihanna as outlaw is a good fit for her. She's yeah, definitely it's, like it's good. Like, you know, remember the bitch better have my money video where she like robs yes, yeah. <laughs> like it's like Rihanna works well at, under the outlaw guys more so than Beyonce does on telephone. I'll put 1, it that way. Thousand percent. Like Rihanna <laughs> puffing a, a cigar covered in blood just like makes yeah. sense to me. Um, Absolutely. You could picture I, her killing someone. Oh, I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do. I like the metaphor too of her, like, or her or this person being on the run from love. Like, I'm an mm. outlaw of love. I think that's interesting and it's fun. Like, it's just, it's very, it's like 
a playful song. It's very like yes. just theatrical and it doesn't feel like it's rooted in anything really serious. It's like, it's just cinematic. And yet at the same time, you know, one thread that we picked apart on my podcast was this theme throughout her discography of sort of love as tragedy songs. Like mm. she has a lot of songs in her discography where like love is violent, love yeah. is tragic, love is, I mean, it's a lot like starting with unfaithful, but like moving through, you know, breaking dishes and she What's literally love has tragedy. A, well, she literally has a song <laughs> called What's Love Without Tragedy. So yeah. in a way, a lot of these songs are dealing with that. Like a lot of these songs are about love not being some sort of panacea, but being something that is like laden with a lot of darker feelings. And yeah. I feel like whether that means sort of feeling stuck is as work maybe gets at, or sort of like having to sort of like fight for your independence and strength as like kiss it better might sort of like in the context of a relationship might give you um, like, this is another song that sort of like posits sort of like the darker side of love uh, or like wow, a that's more a really violent good point. side of love. Yeah. That's a really good point. I feel like that's a really important thing to bring up with Rihanna because it really is the streamline through almost all of her songs. I mean, at yes. least through all, at least through every album. Yeah, she not always song, touches but... on this. She always touches on this topic. And like, of course, there's the very thorny, huge part of her biography, which is like this incident that she had with Chris Brown yeah. you know, following Good Girl Gone Bad that like was a huge pivotal moment in her public narrative. Right. And so, you know, both before that and after that, these are subjects that like are in all of her music and also threaded through her public persona as a celebrity. Yeah, and I feel like there's something really powerful in the way that Rihanna knows that that is what pops into our minds. And mm. the way that she uses violent metaphors sometimes for love, yeah. knowing what we know of that situation and that it will, mm -hmm. it's like her way of sort of owning, like she has ownership of that event because she's expressed yeah. it creatively in so many different yeah. ways. And I think that's really cool. Nor does she shy away from the really sticky, complicated aspects of it by yeah. literally putting him post that incident on numerous songs. I mean, right. that was one of the more subversive and like complicated and hard to talk about mm -hmm. things that ever occurred in modern popular music. I mean, that was, you know, to have to have put him on club bangers with her, right? like post that happening was you know, one of the most difficult to parse yeah. moves I think that a mainstream pop star maybe has ever made in like the modern popular music. Oh era. God, so that's a really she good has, point. She has never, and like it speaks to her, you know, brazenness and her willingness to put it all out there that she mm -hmm. did that. I mean, we can talk about whether like what that meant and whether that was like a positive thing to be putting out into the right. universe or not. And that's like a complicated topic to talk about, but like, there's no question that Rihanna and her music has never shied away from like showing us the complicated, vulnerable, ickier parts of love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, let's talk about woo. <laughs> let's talk about woo. Woo is like, to me is like um in the vibe of Yeezus. Oh, okay. Album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Like wow. this sort of like clanging electro, um, sort of like almost dissonant sounding. I mean, to me, this is like weirdly a centerpiece of the album where things start to feel like almost like they we really veer into like a super dark territory. Like right. there's there's something um disturbing sonically about this song. It has a 
sort of vintage horror feel to me. Mm. Like it sounds almost like the psycho strings like warped through yeah. like electronic instrumentation or something like that. Like it has like a knife stabbing sort of yes. vibe. And mm-hmm. again, this is a song where you can tell Rihanna went into recording this album with the intention of truly only pleasing herself and clearly yeah. like her f- hardcore fans like nobody else really mattered I remember when this came out um this is a song that's really grown on me and I really do think is like an essential piece of the album but like yeah. when I first heard it I was like oh god what the hell like, is I don't know if I ever want to listen to this again yeah and I also remember kind of like because I'm a DJ always like especially at this time I would like very explicitly sift through new pop records and be like what am I going to play you yeah. know what I mean and this yeah, record yeah. didn't have a ton of obvious answers to that question um aside from work and I was like all right, are we going to be in the club going like, I don't really know the love. Can I see that? I'm not sure. But this is also a collaboration with Travis Scott, who is yeah. like a, um, you know, definite Kanye disciple who worked on Jesus. So there's an understandable connection, I think there. And Jesus, I think is an absolutely like genius album that again, similarly to a lot of anti like, is not interested in necessarily like pleasing the casual pop listener per se right. and also is dealing with like a very thorny complicated sometimes like distasteful topics related to love and sex yeah and so i think that this song really like fits that vibe to me like this song sounds like somebody that's really deep in their feelings over a relationship and is like in the kind of really dark place of that not in the sort of like I'm coming out on the other side and here's what I've learned like this is very much like the depths of hell kind of song (laughs) I agree with that and I feel like the like once we get to Desperado there's this um sort of like it's this is obviously an R&B forward album but there's a definite sort of like grungy basement rock kind of feel to Mm -hmm. the production of these songs and this one really has that vibe where I wrote in my notes it feels like she recorded this like in her friend's bedroom but like in a good way yeah it's very punk rock almost in a sense like yeah it, it 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 there's a number of vocal takes on this album that we'll get to that sound like she really lets herself sound ragged I mean yes. there's like this is not like some sort of like you know uh anodyne vocal performance I mean this yes. is like scratchy screamy dissonant sounding vocals and you wonder like like maybe they cut it as a demo and then kept it and we're kind of like because she recorded it so deep inside of her feelings like this is one of those like gut punchy but almost like as I think this really speaks to what you pointed out earlier in the conversation about like some of this record sounds like should I be listening to this right you know what I mean like this to me has that a little bit where I'm like oh like we're really getting a window into like someone like in the depths of some sort of pain and Rihanna often deals with pain on songs by sort of like being confrontational or combative and sort of mm-hmm. screaming or you know like turning to towards sort of like, you know, I think about like gangster for life or something like that, Mm. where like when she's like dealing with pain, she often turns it into like a revenge metaphor. Like she's gonna, she's not gonna let you take her down, but you still feel that pain in, in, even within that guise. And I think this song fits into that sort of motif. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. And it also just has real, like, like the lyrics of this song are very classic Rihanna but like also very fuck you and it's just really mm. cool like it's a yeah it's a good emotional fuck you song oh for sure I mean like if you're <laughs> if you're like feeling wronged this would be a good song to put on and just sort of like throw a glass at the wall <laughs> right break some dishes if you will break some dishes up in here <laughs> um <laughs> 
let's talk about needed me a, a major okay. major moment on this album big one this is a fucking incredible song i mean this yeah. this to me is like one of the revelations of anti and um you know rihanna's dabbled in sort of like i think she was a real inflection point in sort of like the incorporation of trap music into pop and mm-hmm. you can sort of see that uh i think primarily on pour it up being like a great yes. example from four years earlier you know in the period that unapologetic came out you know most of pop was dominated by this sort of glistening dance music that yeah. you know she also did that she, well. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that she yeah, the, the, thing about, the thing about rihanna you know and this is something we get into a lot on pop pantheon uh, in our discussion is the versatility with genre is sort of unmatched i mean she works in every single format in a way that's like kind of jaw-dropping and yeah. that i think not many pop stars can lay claim to i mean she can she without losing her authenticity she sound she can do rock pop dance music hip-hop reggae you know like and my guests on the podcast said like when is her country album coming i mean like she literally yeah. could do anything she could like do it all so th- but like she was a huge um she was on the vanguard you know prior to drunken love prior to a lot of these other big records that helped usher in the sort of trap pop marriage um you yeah. know songs like pour it up and love song and numb on unapologetic were sort of like paving the way for that and i feel like this song is sort of the apex of her almost operating like a rapper sometimes rihanna could almost be coded in some of her vocal performances as a straight up rapping and i think this song in the way that she flows over it and a lot of the verses like this could this could be a future song or something like that for one thousand percent i think if lauren hill could be considered a rapper like rihanna could right a hundred percent and like a lot there's a lot of talk about Beyonce's sort of transition into becoming a rapper but Rihanna was doing that prior to her you know not to like set them against each other sure but 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 I do think this is almost like a dark syrupy trap rap song in some ways yeah I agree with that one thousand percent and I also think it's really interesting that she I wrote in my notes that you know, at this point in her career, she had become known for releasing these like empowerment anthems, right? These mm. like sort of like female empowerment, like jumping up and down at a concert anthems, right? Absolutely. And this is interesting because it's like a modern, like very mature version of that, of an empowerment anthem, really. It's just like the Rihanna 2.0 version of... And uh, a song that is like meant to kind of make you feel like, fuck you. Yeah. And I think also you're, you're really right about that. And similarly to the previous track, I think it's also sort of once again, turning pain into defiance, like, which is like a big thing. Like yeah. you needed me. And she's mm-hmm. saying that, and that's a very sort of like, fuck you thing to say, but yet you can also sort of register the pain that that's emanating out of. Like she's trying to convince herself of that, or like she's using that as a way mm-hmm. to sort of survive a darker feeling. I also think we can't escape this without talking about a very important line in this song that has come to like really like be associated with her and her like brand empire, which is, didn't they tell you that I was a savage? Right. Yeah. That's like a very iconic Rihanna line that's like now turned into an underwear brand. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In the great mold of pop star capitalism, she took her deepest pain, 
put it on record and then turn that into a multi-billion dollar corporation. Put it on a lace corset. (laughs) Yeah, but this song is also, I think the definition of like, it's a vibe, it's a mood. I mean, like it, like this is one of those songs you put on and it's like, it sweeps you away. Again, in like a cinematic way that Desperado might also do where like you get kind of just carried on this sort of like cascading trap beat and her sort of like, um sort of forlorn half wrapped half sung sort of like unspooling of this like dark emotion and defiance sort of like just barely masking like deep pain and rejection yeah i wrote in my notes that the lyrics of this song i mean it's incredibly worded obviously it's like right. an it's almost like an incredibly worded hate text Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those good texts that you look at, you read like 500 times because you're like, I fucking killed this text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can't believe how beautifully I popped the fuck off on this text <laughs> message. You know what I mean? I, I let have. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, there's nothing more knife to the heart than being like, you needed me. Yeah. I mean, like that is like, like it's such a simple turn of phrase, like so much great pop music. It's like, yeah, it's very simplistic, but yet it just nails something. Like, yeah. it's just like, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> and also I think a, a very influential song. I mean, sometimes I think about, you know, like Halsey's Without Me. Like there's a lot of songs that came after it that I feel like really like yeah. played with the template. I 1000%, this song definitely is like, the 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 new blueprint for a very specific type of song yeah and the fact that it was a hit again i think like this isn't like an obvious radio song and right. yet it became a smash and i think like very few artists could pull that off like that's a real testament i think to like just how intriguing and alluring and magnetic rihanna is as a pop star well let's now talk about one of my favorite songs i'm anxious to to see what you think of yeah i said it yeah, a Timberland production. Yeah. Um, yeah, I said it to me, the main thing that, like, it almost feels like a coda to Needed Me in some ways. Like, I almost feel like it could be, like, like part two. And I think okay, that yeah, also, yeah. Um, it's, I think what, the main thing that pops to my mind when I think about Yeah, I Said It is, it illustrates what I was talking about earlier with James Joint, which is, like, this sort of, like, collage of sounds, feelings, aesthetics vibes like it's two minutes and change it feels like maybe they never finished it totally like and she was just like yeah let's pop this on there like it adds to the tumblr aesthetic that's my main takeaway from that song yeah it's almost like it's definitely not a song i would consider by any means to be like a ballad but it slows the album down at a really appropriate time Mm -hmm. um it's it just feels like the right place to kind of have a song like this that's you know sort of intermission perhaps yeah an intermission I think is a really really good way to describe this song because it's like you said it is like a minute long um and you know this is kind of we touched on this a little bit earlier but like I just I love the way Rihanna can be hypersexual in songs in a Mm. way that feels so specific to her it's Mm. at times very raunchy and like extremely detailed um suck my cockiness (laughs) i'm gonna get a wet like jacuzzi Uh, (laughs) but it's like it just works so well for some reason when she does it it never feels it never feels like she crossed any sort of line because with brianna there is no line no 
And she's always being herself. Like a lot of times sexual guises in pop music can feel so put on, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's such like a mode of, especially for, for women of like, you know, you start out as kind of like the shy tomboy. It's like, you know, it's the Janet Jackson narrative that right. we've like seen done tr a trillion times and like only the good ones can really do it well. But like, yeah. you know, it's like the, you know, the I have sex now era and like, you know, sometimes it can feel really <laughs> yeah. awkward. You know what I mean? Like, especially the more it gets done and done in facsimile and facsimile over and over again. But Rihanna's never felt that way. As we were talking about earlier, it's like Rihanna's authenticity and sort of like ability to just be herself is what makes her special. And I don't, I think she gets that so clearly by this point in her career that she would mm -hmm. never make a song that didn't feel like she was like coming from a real place. Like she's, she's not, Rihanna's not gonna like try on a costume that doesn't feel right just for the sake of doing that. Like yeah. she's, she's, yeah, and I agree. And also I do think, yeah, I said it like fits thematically in with the previous couple of songs on the, on the track list because, you know, it's again, this sort of like, yeah, I said it. You needed me. You know, there's this kind of vibe of like, she's clearly heartbroken and she's using this sort of like, fuck you attitude to try mm -hmm. to pull herself out of it. And I think that this song fits into that content wise in that sort of like stream of songs we had just heard, but feels kind yeah. of like a little bit more resigned, a little bit more like maybe the storm is quieting down a bit and like she's sort of landing a little bit more back in that sort of self-reflective consideration place. Right. And it is interesting. I'm glad that you brought up that it's a Timbaland song because I love Timbaland. I always love like a, a Timbaland production on, mm -hmm. you know, whenever he pops up on an album, it's always like, there's Timbaland. When you hear those like, but you know, you like know it's him. Uh, but this song is interesting because it doesn't really have any of the traditional Timbaland um, sort of like, you know, go-to sounds like that sort of spacey, futuristic Mm -hmm. thing like it yeah you know it's in that's that it's it's just an interesting production for him i guess yeah you wouldn't know you wouldn't necessarily without looking at the credits like realize that this was a timberland song i mean yeah i think the the other timberland production like of this period that like i guess it sort of reminds me of a little bit is like drunken love which he contributed to mm -hmm. along with about 17 other producers so like who the hell knows like what right actually, yeah. like, on that song but <laughs> Again, like Drunken Love is not a song that you listen to and like think is like, oh, there's a Timberland song. Right. Um, but it has a similar sort of like moody aesthetic to it, maybe that like ties it slightly to the song. But I agree. It's it's not, it's not that is not something like if I hadn't looked at the credits, I never would have guessed. So I do, I'm almost always intrigued by the fact that like, did they finish this song? Like I could totally have seen Rihanna like going into the studio with him. They like were like, oh, here's an idea. Let's like make some of the right. song. And then they were just kind of like, yeah, let's finish this down the road. And then Rihanna yeah. was like, no, I'm just putting this shit on the album. She's like, like I released it. it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I don't know if you thought we were going to finish this. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Like, I thought it was good. <laughs> I, just I like it. it how it is. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh. like a bridge point. I agree. I like the notion of it as an intermission kind of like, it is right in the middle of the record. So it makes sense yeah. in that context. Let's talk about Same Old Mistakes. I love okay. this song. Yet another moment that really speaks to the looseness and sort of oh my like Tumblr God. aesthetic of this. I mean, the fact that this woman literally just ripped the exact same production from the original <laughs> Tim and Paula song and then just basically just re-sang it is like, <laughs> right. like at first blush, it was one of those things when I first listened to it, I was like, what the actual fuck? Like she's literally, not only is she covering like a song from one year ago, but she's literally just yeah. taking the exact track and just re-singing it 
Right. It was such a random choice for like a major, major pop record. But like, again, she sounds incredible as the front woman of Tame Impala. Like that is honestly very, very strange choice, but really works. It's cool. It's like it, it kind of, I, I like it because it shows that she's like a genuine fan. She's like, no, this mm-hmm. is a good song. I just want to sing this really good song. Taste, taste. Taste, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the this is one of actually one of my favorite songs from the Currents album. Like, I love, I love Tame Impala. Yeah. And Currents was a great record too. She, I mean, I agree. She picked a good one. Yeah. It's such a good song. And mm-hmm. it perfect, it's ironic because it's like, she must have been inspired by his lyrics in her production of this entire album because this is a song about you know him kind of having these internal thoughts about like changing his sound and like releasing music that isn't what it's been and having this like internal panic and saying like they're gonna judge you they're I can hear the critics now they're gonna you know I can already hear them critiquing what I'm gonna put out and I don't really care and like having this like inner monologue with himself that he can do it and he can't do it. And it's exactly the space that she was in Mm. in releasing this album. It's really cool. I agree. I think that's a really, really good point. I I mean, it's like a lot, it gets at a lot of things we were talking about earlier. Like, even though this isn't her song originally, it speaks to many of the themes that the record has been dealing with up to this point that we've touched on. And I also think probably an important moment to talk about like how well Rihanna works as like a druggy kind of artist. Like Rihanna's relationship to drugs is like always an interesting thread through her career. Like she's (laughs) always been a very proud weed smoker. Yeah. Um, You know, other things things have been implied so it's <laughs> it's interesting to hear her in the context of sort of like psychedelic rock yeah um which is like more or less like this is like electronic psychedelic rock i guess and like again another hat that she can really fluidly sort of like put on like she yeah she works well as like the front man for like a like a stoner coachella band right. or something like that you know what i mean like yeah uh uh, because this song sounds like you've taken mushrooms and you're sort of journeying through your own mind in a sense. Yeah, I like when we get random little peeks into Rihanna's like shuffle, like what she's yeah. listening to. Like <laughs> it reminds me of when she, um, you know, put lyrics over that XX song. Yes, um, uh, Drunk on Love. Yeah, like it's like, yeah. oh, you know, it's just cool to know what Rihanna's listening to because she's so- She has amazing cool. taste. I mean, this is always like- you know, there's also like this important sort of like through line, I think, in like criticism around Rihanna about like her, that she's not a songwriter, that she doesn't, you know, yeah. she's not like, she's not sitting down plucking out songs on the guitar, like Taylor Swift or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think what, like Rihanna is able to very aptly pick records for herself that are like cutting edge, but also like in conversation with pop and that she's able to fully embody like you know like so to the point where like who gives a fuck whether she wrote this or not it's like so beside the point and this song really illustrates that well you know what I mean it's like you know if you go back to even like Umbrella a song that was like completely you know written without her was shopped to numerous artists before she recorded it including you know Mary J. Blige, Akon, Britney, whatever like all passed on that record like but yet nobody else could have made Umbrella what Umbrella was. You know what I mean? In some ways, this song is like perhaps an apex of that, where it's like she literally is re-singing another song to a T with the same production and yet completely inhabiting it in this like- Yes. In this way. You know what I mean? 
that's inhabiting it. That's what she does. Yeah. She inhabits songs in a way that's like, well, this is yours now. Yes, 100%. It's yours, Rihanna. You peed on it. I mean, it. so many people could have done this and it would have been so weird. You know oh my I mean? God, like, yeah. It would have been so weird that they just like took the entire track from like a recently released album and just recut it. Like, that is right. just, like such a strange idea, but somehow she makes it work. I don't know. It's, it's incredible. Like I bow at her feet. <laughs> Let's talk about never ending. Okay. This is probably my least favorite song on <laughs> the too. on the I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, I mean I had a feeling. this is like this is like one of the most like sort of like meh kind of boring middle of the road choices she made on this record. Like yeah. to me, this sounds like maybe remnants of a concept of this album that was gonna be like kind of more down the middle. I agree. I think it in a lot of ways it feels like this is going to sound really, really bad, but it, it sounds like album filler from like an old Rihanna album. Exactly. Exactly that. Like it could have been like on the back half of Unapologetic or something like that. Yeah. As like yeah. a BBB. Yeah. I mean? like, like a bonus track or something. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like, again, it's like it, when I'm listening to the record, I'm like fine with it. It's not like I'm like, again, you said this about a. Uh, uh, I forget which song we were talking about, but like, it, there's never, there's never a moment where I'm like, oh God, this one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's fine. There's all, is this the one with the Dido sample? Yes. Yeah. Which like, I've always had trouble kind of picking up, but um, yeah, this song to me is like, she's hit on themes of this nature about like, sort of like the thorniness of love and relationships, blah, blah, blah. And so much many, many more interesting ways before right. this on the record that I'm kind of like, I guess it works as a sonic palate cleanser because we have gotten a lot of like really sort of intense sounds up to this point, like mm -hmm. pretty much from Kiss It Better through um, through the Tame Impala song, you're getting these really sort of dense sonic aesthetics. Right. And there is something nice, I guess, about having like a little guitar ballad to kind of like take a little bit of Sure. You know yeah, I, mean? I think that's true. And I think it's cool that, you know, it, it feels like more of a personal thing that Rihanna just like really wanted to work with Dido. And I think it's yeah. cool that like- Another you know, taste, another good taste moment. Yeah, like it feels almost like this is just something she wanted to do. And I think it's fun that it like, you know, it borrows the melody from Dido's thank you. And mm -hmm. I've read Dido say that this was written to be sort of a, like a continuation of thank you almost. Mm. Like it's, you know, it- it's like a follow-up to her own song. And that's cool. Like, I think that that's more it's of just a feather in her own It's not as good as thank you. Oh, nowhere near. I'm sorry. This nowhere song, near. It's not as good as thank you. But you know what? It's like, it works. I Again, I think, I think the best thing I could say about it is palate cleanser. Like, we've been through a pretty dense journey up to this point. And like, it does feel a bit like an exhale. Well, it doesn't help that the next song on the album that comes directly is, after yeah. it is fucking Love on the Brain. I mean, give me a fucking break. Like, by this point in the album, it's very clear that Rihanna has decided she's going to do whatever the fuck she wants to do. And she said, you know what? I'm going to release a fucking doo-wop 50s yeah. song. This gut-wrenching, incredibly beautiful love song that is yeah. just the like the delivery of this song is so mind-blowing 
it really feels like such a bookmark in her career. Her greatest vocal performance, for sure. By far. And the fact Mm -hmm. that she, like, performed this live and did it better than the record. Oh, yeah. Is, I mean, it's a real feather in her hat. Like, it's, you know. I agree. It's an, it's an apex moment. One of her greatest records, as you mentioned, sort of like a wall of sound, Phil Spector nodding. Yeah. Uh, girl groupie kind of doo-wop song. Uh, Amy Winehouse obviously comes to mind when I listen yeah. to this one. And I also feel like it's perhaps the first sort of like bright toned song besides perhaps James Joint on the record. It's the first, mm. it's the only, maybe the only song on the album that feels somewhat hopeful and lighter. I mean, it's right. still about sort of like the trials and tribulations of being in love and like how thorny and difficult that is, which is like a definite theme that we get on this record quite a bit. But sure. on this particular song, there's sort of a feeling of joy that I don't think sweet. that we get. It feels sweet. It feels hopeful. It feels, you know, um, resigned perhaps in a good way to like how difficult life and love can be. And I yeah. think that like, that's a note that we need at this point in the in the album. Like, I think we've had so many sort of like insular, darker moments. And I think just when you're sort of like, oh my God, this is getting kind of maudlin. Like right. you get this, you get this sort of like, brighter but not still in the tone like you're not like she's not, it's not like all of a sudden we found love is coming on you know it's like it's like yeah. um it's it's but it gives you just a little bit of sort of hope brightness smile there's a smile in this song I agree with that it is yeah there's a sort of a sort of a crooked side smile if you will yeah it's almost like taking that theme of like the some of the other themes and kind of being like well like this is what it is. And like, yeah, ain't that life. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, it's yeah. like, it's just a really special moment. It, it just feels really special. And yeah, you know, it feels like a moment that this song feels like something that she sort of worked her entire career to be able to have on an album I and agree. To, to pull off and, you know, to sing with enough vulnerability you know, Rihanna could have never sang this song like four years ago. No, exactly. Four years That's prior such an important to, point. Right. This only know. could have happened at this point in her career. And like, it is gorgeous. I mean, I, again, another song like Kiss It Better that to me is like perhaps in one of, you know, one yeah. of the five best. And, you know, I think that the, again, another big, re- I think you're going to have to fact check me on this, but I think maybe her biggest radio hit ever in terms of just like how long it charted for mm. and like again another moment where like an idiosyncratic choice like yeah. that's not that that wasn't really in conversation with like other pop music that was happening in 2016 yeah. like rihanna just has that power to like flip that into a fucking smash like it's not it's 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 hardly like a song i mean it's got a great hook it's like it's not like it's like so crazy that this became a hit but you know, I think again, as, as we've been pulling at through this conversation, like she just has a power to like turn anything she does into gold. And this song represents that as a song and as a hit as well to me. And so perfectly placed on the album right before higher. Oh yeah. my <laughs> God. Like this, this is the one that really punched me in the face the first time I listened, because as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, like when I first listened to this record, I did, I, I didn't totally get it. And I was a little bit like, uh. right. um, 
But this was the moment from the minute I heard it that I was like, this is the rawest shit a pop star has ever put on record. Like, yeah. this woman is Tupac. Like, I don't know what to <laughs> It's true. <laughs> it's true. This is like, this is, I mean, she describes this song as a drunk voicemail. And it is. It is. I feel like, I would believe that it was. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just sounds like she was in her feelings. She's whiskey drunk. And, she wanted to call and let you have it. And, you know, you would look at your phone the next day and be like, oh, fuck, what did I do? It's very that. It's really sad, like in the most relatable way. Like, mm-hmm. it's like someone you know your ass should not be calling. Like, yeah. No oh, God, question. Yeah. And you're calling them in the most vulnerable, <laughs> unguarded state of being right. like completely drunk and high and like <laughs> sharing like the feelings you absolutely like should not be sharing with this person. Yeah. And not only is that the content, but then the fucking vocal performance on it is like completely <sighs> pitchy out of like crazy sounding, scratchy. She's yes. like, she's been smoking cigarettes. Like, <laughs> yes. you know. <laughs> I like that song the that was really the one frankly when I first listened to this I was like fucking shit like she is putting it out there on this record yeah. like this is very very intimate for like a top tier pop star to be including on their major label release. another like, one that wow. really feels like she you know she put in the work to be able to release I mean yeah this is earned like this oh, is a sure. song that's earned for her to be able to have on her album and yeah. God, it's just so, and it's it because it's a you know it's like fifty seconds long. You yeah, just want to do it. You want to hear it forty times in a row, and you want to scream it at each fucking time. Yeah, and, and as in the same way that I think, yeah, I said it as kind of a coda to needed me. I feel like this is a coda to Love on the Brain in the sense, like if Love on yeah. the Brain is one of her most polished sort of vocal performances, um, this is like the it's like dirty evil sister like yes. working on the flip side because yes. it still has a little bit of that like vintage feel that love on the brain has um like in terms of how it sounds but it's like the complete opposite in terms of like on love on the brain she's turning in like her most like virtuosic sort of performance and on this she's turning in like her most unfettered sort of like messy one <laughs> you know yeah, what this I mean? is this is that song's drunk sister who like taught yeah. you how to smoke cigarettes yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's really that i i really can't say enough about like how much this song hit me in the face the first time i heard it i was like oh my god oh my god yeah really is going there my goodness yeah this is this is one of those moments where like you really realize that she had utter free reign to like do whatever she wanted on this album and really took that to heart (laughs) well i will be honest i don't know if this is a popular opinion or not I'm okay. not really a fan of Close to You. Me neither. To me, okay. Close to You is like, is is the same thing to me as uh, as uh, the other one. What's, what's yes, Never Ending. It's like a bonus track. It's part from... of that same, yeah, it's part of that same thing where I'm like, was this recorded for a different album that like was going to be more boring? <laughs> right, like, is this like a rated R discarded yeah. track like i'm like what yes. is like what is the song like yeah. it just falls so flat for me in comparison to all this the greatness that came before it it does feel like an album closer i guess yeah um mm-hmm. but it's just it does absolutely nothing for me it's I agree. without any question my least favorite song on the entire album 
Yeah, it's between this and and never ending to me, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It's I feel very similarly to this as I feel about never ending. So I'll just like you know I won't harp on it too much, but it's like she's touched this theme in much more interesting ways in other right. tracks on this record. It's sonically bland. It like you know it's 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 fine. Like I'm not yeah. I'm not offended by it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not offended by it. Like I am by I was here as the closing song on four. Like that song. <laughs> Like that song to me is like, how dare you? Like, how dare you release this incredible album and end on this awful ass fucking song? Right. Like, like I that that is like offensive to me. This is like not offensive to me, like, but it's it. not great either. Um, do you want to just real quickly run through the three? We have to. I mean, because we have one to talk the, about one of the three is one of the greatest songs on this album. Right. Agreed. Yes. Okay. I already know which one it is. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. First of all, I really like Goodnight Gotham. I think it's yeah. so like it again. It's of course it's atmospheric. There are literally no lyrics. But, <laughs> you know, it's just like a distorted Florence and the Machines um like chorus being played over and over. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just so fucking cool. It's just yeah. cool and melodically for whatever reason I want to like listen to this song in completion like mm-hmm. I really enjoy it it's another song that I think was like an idea that did not get finished but yeah, that, yeah. like in the context of <laughs> yeah. the record works because there's a number of songs like that on here so it, it's not I don't mean that as a knock but it's another song that I felt like definitely was like an idea that was getting batted around in the studio and they were like contending to turn it into an actual song and then just kind of like didn't like that was kind of like the vibe that I got on that one again I like it too but it's like one of those things where it's like you could have seen that they could were trying to potentially turn this into a real verse chorus verse chorus type of song and they just were kind of like bloop nope we're just gonna throw it on there too you saying that like puts me in the mindset of like it's got very like life of pablo vibes mm-hmm. where it's like, totally. oh, we're, we're making the album up until the same year same year same year. yeah this is oh a my really god important moment for i think like there, there's a loosening of the album structure that's going on that like is a broader thing that's like a topic for another podcast but like we've really entered a phase now where like most albums are not sort of these tight cohesive you know 10 track records that like are aesthetically unified etc like we now yeah. often get like these big bloated you know 20 song drake albums and right you know, whatever um but like this i think was a turning point for that this year was a big inflection point for that where like messiness got thrown into the mix here like as part of, as like a virtue not as a yeah as a you know and like i think life of pablo a very important thing that you brought that up because i do think they they really share that you know, there's a number of songs on Life of Pablo, you know, I mean, not even just speaking about like him updating the record after it already came out, but there's <laughs> right. also like a number of songs on that, that similarly to Auntie feel like they were like half finished ideas. And he was like, yeah, let's go throw that one on there. Mm-hmm. Too. Like, like the messiness is the virtue, not right. necessarily like a problem. My housewife's tagline. Your what? My your housewife's, housewife's tagline. tagline. <laughs> My messiness is a virtue, not necessarily a problem. <laughs> um, Incredible. Let's talk about Pose. I don't have a yeah. lot to say about Pose, if I'm being yeah. honest. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rihanna is a gay icon. This yeah. is a nod to ballroom culture. Yeah. To me, this is like a kind of in the unapologetic by energy Very a little that. bit of like, 
you know, she was like dealing with like sort of like darker, weirder sounds and themes on that record, but it was still held within the package of like more traditional pop songs than mm-hmm. Auntie, Auntie is. And also like a lot of like weird sort of different nods at different dance styles, like on that, on, 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 on Unapologetic. So to me, Poe is kind of like works in as like part of that more. Like I get why it's a bonus track. Like there's no, there's yeah. no way like Rihanna giving you kind of like commands to dance on the floor would have worked <laughs> in the regular track listing of Anthony. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it, this is um, fresh off the runways, like, little sister or something yes very that very that very i do enjoy the way that the production is extremely kind of like jagged and not sort of like linear and like kind of like a fun house a little bit like it's not it doesn't give you like a traditional dance beat in any sort of way it's like how do you dance to pose exactly yeah it's a little confusing like in that to make a dance song with that sort of confusing of a beat so i'll give it that Let's talk about fucking sex with me. Oh my, why is this song not on the album? I mean, I don't know what, because I mean, I think it's so joyous that Uh, like, you're right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, 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 I, I agree that like of all the three bonus tracks, like this would be the one that I would like say, like, why isn't this on the record? But it's, it's so fun. Right. It's too fun. You know, like auntie's not a, fun album per se like it has moments of like sad twerking but it's not like it's not a record that's like about joyousness or ecstaticness like sex with me is just like what a like joyous fun like celebratory kind of song you know totally totally it's just like it's like thank god rihanna gave us at least one like i'm about to go out and get drunk song yeah exactly thank god yeah, but still in the mode of this album where it's like kind of sparse. It's like there's a looseness to it. It doesn't feel right. at all like her more tightly constructed pop music from her earlier phases. Like it's not like SM or something like that, which like is right. just like utter precision. You know, this is still like has that loose sort of wrapping flow going on it. You know, yeah, I yeah. Am saucy. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm saucy. <laughs> uh, like there's like, there's still this like, looseness that permeates anti that like brings it aesthetically in line with some of the other songs on this album but yeah man i mean this is just like a and it's also another rihanna as rapper song i mean this is like she is essentially rapping this entire song and also what a hilarious and amazing thing that only rihanna could say sex with me so amazing i know I think like, that's that what's so just... great about it. This the the charm of this song is that it knows it's funny. Like yes. Rihanna knows she's being funny. The whole thing is just puns. Like it's yes. all just funny sex puns. And you know it. You, it's always wet. A bitch never ever had to use lip gloss on like, it. Come <laughs> on, like you know she was fucking belly laughing yeah, in the studio. It's yes. so funny, and I it's just so fun to sing. I love this song. I mean, like. This is that's it's just one of those Rihanna songs, and there are many that it's just like, what like who, who wouldn't want to listen to this? Like, it's just <laughs> right? Like, it is just so like as you said, she really captures like it's sexy and funny at the same time, which is not always an easy thing to yeah. capture on record. Like, and of, of course Rihanna is adept at doing that because I think she has a total sense of humor about herself. I think she totally like thinks she's like takes her work seriously and also like likes to be playful and she's just I really don't like there's few people in pop culture that like I feel such unabashed love and admiration Mm, for like 
like I just love Rihanna so much. Like I, there's just like like she's yeah. just that fucking bitch. Like, yeah, totally. you know what I mean. It's like she's got it all going on. Like I don't, I don't, I can't, and I don't, and I don't think you stumble across a lot of people from the casual pop culture consumer to the most avid that doesn't love her. Like it's true. she's w- perhaps the most beloved sort of A-list pop star, like universally. So like, think about it. It's like so many people can't stand Lady Gaga. So many people right. can't stand Katy Perry. So many people, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they have a lot of fans obviously, but like, there's also like, they're eminently irritating and hateable in a lot of so ways true. at the same it's true. time. And I don't think anybody dislikes Rihanna. Like every, like from, and I'm talking about like straight men, you know, yes. like there's like, you know, it's like, she's, she, because she's so, authentic so comfortable in her own skin right um it's it's hard to not want to just worship at her feet and rock with her and also want to be her bff yeah it's like you want to be her and be you know her friend it's very that it's you know very death of a cheerleader i don't want to meet beyonce it's like i love beyonce like i think she's incredible i'm like full beehive whatever but like right i'm not like dying to hang out with her you know what i mean like totally like I'm not like, I'm not like, I'd rather not actually. Like, I think I'm happier just with her being the incredible performer, music maker that she is. And I watch it from afar. Rihanna, I would love to just like yeah. fucking hang out. With. Like, I, I just feel like she's a, she is the real deal. Like, she's a real ass bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. yeah. Um. Well, this was so much fun. I'm so happy that we did this together. Me too. This was a blast. I loved the track by track um thing because like on on pop pantheon we have so much ground to cover that i always feel like i'm like shoving in as many thoughts as i yeah. can because we have to move on to the next thing and blah, blah, blah. So this <laughs> right. was really um really fun to get to break it down in this level of detail and i love and you're brilliant i love hearing all your thoughts on it well thanks you are i mean obviously you'll be back for oh, sure please. anytime and and i'm oh. hoping to have you on my my podcast as well i would absolutely speaking of tell people where they can find you um, so I host this podcast, Pop Pantheon. It is on all major pop, uh, sorry, all major podcast <laughs> platforms. Um, it's basically like the concept, if I can just say so very briefly, is um, every episode focuses on a single pop star and from like the biggest to the most erstwhile. Like, so yeah. the goal of the podcast is to eventually hit everybody from, you know, Nicole Scherzinger on up. And um, <laughs> we basically, each episode is me and like another sort of like expert, critic, super fan, whomever. And we break down their entire career, all their album eras, all their, you know, their public personas, their music videos, their performances, whatever. And at the end of it, we rank them in this pop pantheon, which is like a series of tiers that I've created to sort of like divvy up the pop universe. So it's almost like fantasy football meets pop music. So like, you know, we have the icons at the top, the megastars in tier two, the superstars in tier three, and they all have different criteria. And so at the end of the podcast, me and my guests sort of debate where each pop star that we've talked about sort of like belongs in this grander pantheon of pop stardom. So definitely subscribe, listen to it. I think fans of your podcast will really like it. Yes, and, for sure. Um, yeah, and then also I'm on social media at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Twitter and IG. Well, thank you again so much for doing this. was honestly so much fun and I can't wait to, I mean, literally I will talk to you about any and everything because we have the same mm-hmm. brain apparently. Yeah. Okay, so really. whatever you want, I'm not kidding. Okay, I'm super down. Can't wait to do it again. All right. Well, you guys, I hope that you enjoyed it and I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. 
please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. 